Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. And when you follow us on the Tweet Machine, remind Chris to call it the Tweet Machine so Chris can then get his blue check on the Tweet Machine. Chris, holla at him. The funny thing is, Mike, if you check my Twitter right now, you'll see a blue check. I am verified. No, you're not. I know. Look at your face. Well, oh, wait, are you? No, I'm messing with oh, you, Oh, <laughs> damn, man. I, I, I see. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. Again, that's CKID206. We'll get you there. Get you there one day. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we have a special guest uh, with us uh, on the podcast. First time uh, joining us on the show. Hopefully, it won't be the last. Love the work she does for The Athletic. We have Lindsey Jones, who covers the NFL again for the athletic shout out to the company Lindsay what's up hey guys how are you well you know we're good you know there's a lot of uh stuff going on in the world you know protests yeah. uh, uh you know pandemic but we're hanging in we're hanging in there all right you know right we're all just trying to like get through every day just doing the best we can but yeah it's been um a crazy off season I mean I have people ask me all the time that like don't work in our business they're like, you must, what do you do without, there's no NFL right now. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been busier <laughs> than ever. Like this has been, I think my busiest June that I've ever had in the, I guess I've been covering the NFL for 13 years now and it's been by far my busiest June. So can't complain that I've been, you know, about being busy because it's certainly better than the reverse. But I mean, there's so much happening in the NFL to the point that you know, we're recording this, what, Monday afternoon. We had major breaking news in the league Sunday night in late <laughs> June. That never happens. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, there's there's no downtime here, even during a pandemic. Yeah, the, the offseason in general, between, like, obviously you have your normal free agency stuff, draft, but then you add, like, the Rooney Rule stuff that's been going on. You add a CBA, which feels like the negotiations for that oh were God. 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, not to mention uh, a pandemic. And then, yeah, you might just randomly get Cam Newton going to the Patriots on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, it's been wild. I mean, that I remember sitting in the lobby of this hotel, the Conrad Hotel in Indianapolis, staking out the CBA meetings. Remember they had this like emergency meeting between the ownership management council and the, um, the players association, their executive committee. They, it was during the combine and it feels like it was like 18 years ago, but it was really only the last week of February. And it's really incredible that the NFL got that deal done. And remember it only passed by about 60 votes, but the fact that they have, they're locked in now to this long-term CBA, you know, that runs another 10 years, is really important to remember as we're in this really kind of complicated time with the pandemic and because there's there's no getting around it that the NFL is going to lose billions of dollars this year, whether they have, you know, a full 16-game season, whether it's abbreviated, whether there's no fans, whether it's some fans, no matter what happens, they're going to lose billions of dollars. But the fact that they have this new um, CBA done and that they got it done right before the pandemic hit gives them a little bit more flexibility that – you know, I think we're going to see some push and pull and there's going to be some things that the league and the players association are going to be at odds over, especially as we get into player safety and return to play. And, you know, a lot of these things that are going on, but we're not going to have the same really, really messy situation that we're seeing in baseball where, you know, baseball is trying to kill itself basically. 
fighting over each other, but at least the NFL has that deal. They have the flexibility that they can borrow against future CBAs. They have these new TV deals on the horizon that they know are going to make a gazillion dollars once the new TV deals are done. So the NFL's ability to survive this is significantly greater than some of the other sports and most specifically baseball. Yeah, everything's better than what's going on in baseball right now. It's a it's it's a mess over there. As someone who's not like an avid baseball fan, but I'm trying to get into this Mariners thing without like stressing myself out too much. Uh, it's it's been a mess uh, to follow. But I want to um, highlight a story that you worked on um, with. Uh, when did we have Jordan on last month? Jordan Rodrigue. Oh man, it was a great great episode. Love Jordan stuff. You guys collaborated on a um, a piece, kind of going behind the scenes of the video that the Michael Thomas and a bunch of other players. Uh, put together after, and basically in response to Goodell's very weak uh, statement on Black Lives Matter and uh, all the this nationwide unrest that we have right now. Um, what when you when you and Jordan kind of did the backstory, all the digging and all that, and talking to people, was there anything that just kind of stuck out to you? Kind of mm-hmm. learning uh, how that all came together. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple things to it, and it was multi-layered because initially the story that we we found out um, was that. There was a league employee, a guy who works as like a content creator. And they have, this is a very large staff of people who, they they collaborate with players and the teams. They do all these like social videos, any of the kind of like creative stuff that goes on the NFL channels, whether that's like YouTube, Instagram. Um, So these these, um, men and women, they work directly with players. But there was kind of this growing, a lot of these people were feeling the same way that the players were and upset about the way that, that, that Roger Goodell's initial statement came out there was in kind of the prolonged silence from a league level and so there was a guy who basically just dm'd and he slid right into mike thomas's dms and said like hey you know i'm a you know i i, I think they knew each other a little bit enough that you know michael thomas would actually see the dm but he just said let me help you i feel the same way that you do i'm really upset like let's work on something that's going to make an impact so this it was this kind of league employee basically going rogue he didn't have authorization from his bosses or anything. He ended up looping them in, you know, at the, before it published, so that people in the league office like knew it was coming. But so you know, the, so there are multiple layers to it. So that's kind of the sexy headline, like rogue NFL employee, and you know, that's the headline that we used, and I tweeted it a million times, and it helped the story like really take off. But it was so much more than that that we discovered that. You know, it's so easy when we think about the NFL to think about just the players who we see and then think about, you know, ownership and the very highest levels of the league office. And it's very easy to kind of villainize the owners and Roger Goodell because they're so out of step a lot of times with what we feel and what players feel. Um, But this story was a reminder that there are hundreds and hundreds of people who work for the NFL that... Um, behind the scenes that you'll never see them. You know, they work in content creation, they work in social media, they work in football operations, they work in finance, um, you know, human resources. And they, a lot of these league employees were also feeling really, really upset. They were upset about the league's overall silence. You know, they were, and especially the league's um, black employees were feeling just very, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I am a white person, um, so I can't empathize. You know, I can't feel. I don't know what exactly what that feels like. But the people that I talked to said that they were, you know, feeling this. You, 
you go protest all weekend. I talked to this woman named Alexis Ben, who works in football operations. She's also one of the co-chairs of the league's um, Black Engagement Network. Um, they call it Ben. And, you know, she was telling that she would spend, she lives in Brooklyn, she would go protest, she would go to Harlem and protest, she was going to the protest in Brooklyn, she was going to protest in lower Manhattan. And then over the weekend, and then she'd go back Monday morning and, like, log into her NFL job where it was just silence from the league. And this really, like, they were just, a lot of people were feeling really conflicted about kind of their own personal lives and the stuff that was so important to them personally, the, the light, the, the, the lives that they were living and then where they were working. And it was just really incredible to see this, um, so many internal league employees pushing back. So it was the combination of these players publicly doing this and then the internal push from the black engagement network within the nfl that really challenged roger goodell and forced him to move and you know the players video was incredibly powerful um and then the next day you know roger goodell put out his own statement where he said black lives matter i i never would have thought i would have heard roger goodell say those words because it doesn't mean that i don't believe that he cares i just he's always just been so kind of image conscious and business focused and all about pr and that was a pretty substantial step and now that was what like three weeks ago and we're trying to see okay what comes next what is ownership level going to do who's going to also come out and say that they're supporting their players and you know that has been slower um but yeah i mean i just think it was just it was really empowering to see and inspiring to watch so many um, league employees behind the scenes really kind of take this, take, they were empowered to speak up and in ways that they never have before. And it was um, predominantly led by the league's black employees and also by their young employees. And, you know, that's, that's really telling. And we're seeing that from players too. I thought it was really cool that in that player's video that we've referenced, there were, it was more than a dozen guys, but it was some of the league's youngest stars, guys that are still on their rookie contracts, you know, Saquon Barkley, Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, Michael Thomas just got his big deal, I guess, last season. But these are guys who have, they're not waiting till they get paid. They're not waiting till they get that, that big check that and that, that long-term contract security. Um, and they only know an NFL in like the post Colin Kaepernick landscape. So it's been really, really interesting and exciting to watch this new generation of NFL players and stars realize their power and use it because we didn't see that from previous generations, at least not in mass. You know, I'm glad you mentioned how many people work for the NFL. Cause I think when I've been like doing like my writing and doing guest spots on people's shows and stuff, I've been noting that the NFL, we say it broadly, but it's a bolt. It's a bunch of different like entities. It's the owners in some regards, it's the coaches or the general managers. And then it's Goodell who's the face. But then, yeah, there's a bunch of other people uh, involved uh, as well. And Goodell does not speak for all of them, especially all the black people uh, in the building. Uh, something that stood out to me was just to, with the player video still is that, the players seemingly recognized the power they had. You know, they were like, we're going to force something to happen because we are powerful enough to do that. And getting Black good, uh, Roger Goodell to say Black Lives Matter is, uh, again, I'm with you. I don't know how, like, big of a deal it is, you know, to him personally, but the fact that he said it is still a big deal. I'm curious on whether you think how powerful that video was uh, will serve as somewhat of a blueprint when players want other things, whether it's rule changes or just anything from the owners or the league, just their ability to put pressure on the league. Do you think they'll use this going forward? 
I, I think so. I mean, I think this has been just a really kind of transformative period, and, and it's not just NFL players. We're seeing it from college athletes, especially realizing their power, um, and that you know, college athletes have so little power, and that's the way that that corrupt system is set up is to completely strip away any of the individuality and the power that these college athletes have. But we're seeing these younger players, these guys who are 18, 19, 20 years old, starting to to take hold of it, which makes me really excited for that generation to get to the NFL. I mean, I remember when um, Chuba from Oklahoma State, when he called out Mike Gundy, you know, he's a Heisman candidate. And I was like, I can't wait for him to be in the NFL. This is the exact type of player that the NFL needs to move this archaic organization forward. Um, and, you know, when you look at that player video, the NFL player video, it's not a mistake that Patrick Mahomes was front and center, that Patrick, Patrick Mahomes was the first player, the way they edited it together, who said Black Lives Matter. It's not a mistake that when they made the grid, where I guess it was probably, what, nine, nine guys or 12 guys in the grid, that Patrick Mahomes was right front and center. He is the new face of the league. Um, he is the league's best player. He's going to go on and win you know, multiple MVP awards. So the fact that they put him front and center, that's showing everybody else in the league you can do this too. If Patrick Mahomes, the guy who is the new face of the league, is willing to put himself out there and be a leader in this discussion and in this space, then everybody else can do it too. And, you know, it's important that Russell Wilson has has been kind of opening him up. You know, I'm sure you have talked about this a million times in your podcast, but he's not always the most uh, open. You know, he's you know he's very, like, scripted a lot. You know, I, I, I used to call him a robot quarterback. <laughs> a few years ago because of you know just the way his messaging was but we're, we're we're seeing him open up in ways that he hasn't before and he's willing to talk about um talk about what it's like to be a black man in america in ways that he never would have done that five years ago and you know to have some of the league's best players their most prominent players and their young players doing this it's only going to be mean good things for the league moving forward for whatever you know one this conversation can't end and I think the, these players are not going to let the conversation around police brutality and racism end. Um, but it's not going to be just this. It's going to be anything else that now is coming up, whether it's you know health and safety issues. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if they're able to kind of harness some of this collective power. If something comes up with COVID that is troubling to a lot of players, if they'll push back in that manner. But yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see a whole new era of player empowerment and player activism um that's that's gonna i think it's gonna really transform the league and all of these leagues and really carry over for future generations you mentioned kaepernick earlier and i kind of want to get back to him because the message that he was basically showcasing in 2016 with which as you mentioned police brutality and injustice towards people of color and now with the nfl coming out and saying we stand behind you specifically Roger Goodell coming out and saying we stand behind you. He didn't mention Kaepernick by name, of course, but we all understand now that the NFL is attempting to make changes. I want to know, in your opinion, do you think the message originally will be muddied and lost now that the NFL is saying, you know what, you can protest peacefully. We understand all of a sudden now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nobody can deny, well, I don't want to say nobody, there's there's some very, certainly very like fringe populations that I, I, I certainly can't speak for, but if you, 
you would have to be either living completely in a hole or living in a warped version of America where you only get your news and you can see it through one very, very um, skewed lens to not understand now what Colin Kaepernick was talking about. Um, We've seen it. Even if you tried to ignore the news, you you couldn't ignore the George Floyd video. You couldn't have ignored what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. Um, Too many people are ignoring what happened to Breonna Taylor. But, like, we've seen it now. Everybody has seen it. Middle America has seen it. Um, So we can't – you can't deny it. And we've been hearing it, too, now from – our, our friends, our coworkers, you know, I was, I was really glad that the athletic gave a platform to um, any of our black employees who wanted to kind of share their experiences because what so many of us needed to know is like, this is what life is really like. And we can't deny that now you can't hide from it. We've seen it. Um, we've marched alongside our black coworkers. You know, I, I think, um, you know, you just can't deny what that message is now. Um, it was interesting. There was an NFL conference call last week with a, a variety of executives because there was another round of owners' meetings. Um, Roger Goodell jumped on it for a minute, but then he jumped off, and then the other executives. It was mostly Dr. Sills, who's the medical, uh, the chief medical officer, answering questions. But right at the end, um, somebody asked a question, jumped in and asked a question about um, Colin Kaepernick and like, is his message getting heard now? Like, do owners now understand? Is there a better understanding? And Troy Vincent, who is the executive vice president of football operations, he's, you know, he's over all of the football kind of stuff, rules, um, roster, competition committing, all of that kind of stuff. He actually mentioned Colin Kaepernick by name in his answer. And that was like almost stunning to me because for three years, people in the league office do not say Colin Kaepernick's name. It's just is like it's a no no, and you know it was you know I, I talked to people who worked in social, you know, for reporting these stories with Jordan. Um, where yeah, I mean, I talked to league employees. It was like you couldn't say his name. It was just it was just you could not even mention him. You would see these, you know, clips that would go out on NFL channels where it was like almost trying to erase Colin Kaepernick from the NFL's history. Which like, you know, when the Niners were in the Super Bowl a couple months ago there were clips that like didn't include Colin Kaepernick as leading them the last time they were in the Super Bowl. And it's like, you can't erase him. Um, but now they're starting to, at least, you know, you can talk about him again. I'm still skeptical that he's going to get signed. I just, I, I'm so skeptical that ownership is going to actually step up and do not just the right thing by Colin, but the right thing by their football team and signing you know, now that Cam Newton has been signed, Colin Kaepernick is by far the best available quarterback on the free agent market. And all of these teams that have longstanding quarterback issues, they're just hurting themselves by not signing him. Um, you know, I'm still skeptical. You know, I think owners, there's a, a number of owners who are still scared of Trump and the, the Trump effect. And I don't doubt that, that he'll try to make this a winning issue for him again, just like he's done in the past when he needs a distraction from something else. Um, I will say though, that the fact that, so when we go back to the timeline of the player video and Trump's response, um, and then Drew Brees's response where he tagged Trump kind of, uh, replying to him that he was, that the president, that Trump was wrong. Um, that never would have happened in 2017. They never would have, um, Roger Goodell never would have posted his video backing the players at the same time that Trump was tweeting. So maybe it's not having quite the same impact as you know Trump's tweets and stuff as it did a few years ago. Um, but we'll we'll see when it gets a little closer to the election and Trump's getting a little bit more desperate for um, 
you know, issues that win with his most fervent supporters. You mentioned that Colin Kaepernick probably won't get signed this season. Is it safe to say that his career in the NFL is pretty much done and and that's it? I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say he's not going to get signed. I just am, you know, I, I feel like I keep going every couple months. We go through this cycle where you see, like, okay, this is when it's going to happen. You know, it was after his collu- after they, they settled his collusion suit and his lawyers came out and said, you know, he's been working out. We've already heard from you know, X number of teams were really positive. So you kind of get, you get ready. Okay. This is going to happen. And then complete silence. Nobody even brings him in for a workout. Um, you know, and then last fall, it was all of the machinations that happened with that workout that the NFL scheduled, but then they tried to put too many demands and then Colin moved it, you know, kind of backed out on his own because he didn't want to give the, the NFL, which understandably didn't want to give the NFL that much control on, the video, the, the um, sharing of the workout, all of that kind of stuff. So he moved it, did his own private workout. But a number of scouts still did go to it. So he thought, okay, well, maybe they've at least seen enough that they'll bring him in for his own private workout. Nope, that still hasn't happened. And now, you know, you're starting to hear, okay, well, maybe teams are interested. You know, I'm sure you guys covered very closely what Pete Carroll said a couple weeks ago about teams calling, or at least one team calling. Um to get the, you know, to get Pete's experience with, with Colin when they brought him in, gosh, like 18 years ago, it feels like. <laughs> um, so I don't know, you know, I keep kind of getting myself excited that this is going to happen, you know, that we're, we're going to, we're going to get to see this, you know, the, one of the greatest comebacks in the NFL and then, you know, it dies down and, you know, I don't know how much COVID right now is affecting, affecting this. The fact that, you know, he can't actually come into a building right now. But I don't know. I mean, if teams haven't been willing to do it yet, I'm I'm just I'm just skeptical that somebody's actually going to, you know, do the right thing and you know, be brave and not hide behind the same kind of cowardly excuses that they have used in the past. You know, and you and Jordan did um, another story together. You guys was killing it. It's like D Wade and Braun South Beach type stuff. <laughs> um, the headline for if you want to go check it out: uh, Roger Goodell and players have spoken now an action plan for what comes next. And the first item on the action plan is do right by Colin Kaepernick. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned um, the Super Bowl stuff and not kind of highlighting that he was the last quarterback to lead them there. There was like subtle hints of like attempting to erase him from from like the platform for a while. I mean, even, even when Lamar Jackson would break records, you know, it seemed like they didn't want to mention that he's the first quarterback to do so since Colin Kaepernick because he had all the, you know, uh, all those rushing numbers he put up. It'd be like, oh, Lamar Jackson did this. And it's great. And it's just like, well, note who did that before him as well. Even NFL.com having him listed as retired, pulling his name from the uh, the Big Sean verse. Um, and I can't remember the name, of, what the name of that song? Big Bank from Big the Bang, Big Bank yeah. song. Yeah, there's been um, a lot of like subtle ways, it seems like, the NFL wants to forget about Colin. And we did talk about Pete Carroll's comments um, on this show. But I am curious on what you thought of hearing kind of Pete Carroll's explanation for why they didn't sign Colin uh, he said it was a football thing in 2017 and kind of danced around it in 2018 on wh- why they canceled the workout. And then basically said, hey, we're just going to ride with Geno Smith. Um, I thought it was hypocritical uh, for a bunch of reasons. But kind of what was your reaction to hearing what Pete had to say about it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't buy it back in 2017, and I still don't really buy it now. You know, I think he's the, – the Seahawks tend to, like, nationally get – too much credit for being the only team that even talked to Colin. But I think if anything, they should probably get 
more criticism for why they didn't sign him and why they didn't. I never felt like it was a real, um, that they were, you know, making a real sincere effort to, you know, to bring him in and actually put him through a workout and actually talk about, you know, all of the stuff, you know, because there's so many bad narratives out there. Oh, he wants too much money. I'm like, oh, he's still going to demand to be a starter, which nobody knows that Colin has never said any of that stuff first. And, and, and part of that is because he has chosen, it's been his personal decision that he's not going to be out there kind of campaigning for himself to get a job. You know, he's not out there doing this like PR tour to, you know, to show off or talk about exactly what it is that he wants. Um, but I think anybody who's trying to hide behind football reasons when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, they're just telling on themselves because if you're really trying to make yourself the best football team that you can be, you don't ride with, you know, Geno Smith. You don't ride with Austin Davis over Colin Kaepernick. You just, if you want to be the best football team, you just don't. And, you know, we've heard so many of these excuses from coaches across the league when they, they talk about why they why they haven't wanted to bring him in. Oh, it's been too long of a layoff. They haven't wanted, you know, he hasn't played in a long time. And then, you know, and then Josh Johnson gets signed, who hadn't thrown a pass since, what, like 2013? When he that he got, he got signed and came back in, you know. So it's you know Alden Smith just got signed by the Cowboys. He's a played since 2015. And yes, it's different positions, but 2015. Colin Kaepernick has played more recently than that. Um, so you know all these football reasons, and then the other stuff that like oh it's going to be a media circus. Well, you know what? If your organization can't handle extra media requests, then you're probably have a pretty poorly run <laughs> organization. Um, and the you know. So that that never, I mean, I look, I live in Denver. I was around the Tim Tebow media circus and yeah, I mean, there's, there'll be more people around and there's more people calling and, um, but just handle it. You're like a billion dollar organization. So contain your circus. And a lot of these other football reasons, they don't exist in COVID the, the, the current NFL COVID environment, there's going to be no media circus. Because <laughs> there's going to be no media. Right. Like, right. You will be denying everybody's credentials. Like, will they talk about it on the broadcast? Sure. But it's not like you're going to have all these extra TV trucks parked outside your facility when when even your beat writers might not be able to be allowed inside. Bingo. And, you know, are you going to have fans not showing up at games? Well, you know what? They're not going to be showing up at games anyway. <laughs> so just freaking do it. Do the right thing. Make your football team better. And also do the right thing by a guy who's been royally screwed by the NFL for four years. Um, in reading that same piece that um, you and Jordan did about kind of what comes next, you, you, know, you guys highlighted which owners have kind of put their names on things. I think the Titans owner. Um, ah, man, there's been there's been some. And then obviously Jerry Jones, who just is like conveniently silent uh, okay. right now. I've been really pushing that. Like we need to put the pressure, you know, on the owners, even here in Seattle. Like, I don't even know what Jody Allen looks like, like let alone yeah. pressuring her to kind of say how she feels about what's going on right now and the step to getting Colin in the league again is going to come from you know the top top down do you think we get to the point where the with the owners at least maybe a majority of them specifically the ones who donated to to Trump's campaign get to a point where they kind of I want to say apologize but get to where Goodell got in that video we're like hey we screwed this up or maybe specifically I owner of blank team screwed this up. I think that's a big step that we haven't necessarily had in full yet, but it's necessary. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around daily, life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus, but it ain't gotta be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water 
to make hydrating your body easy and damn delicious. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. Yeah, we, have, we definitely haven't had that. Um, I would love for that to happen. Um, I'm skeptical that it would happen, um, but that somebody, that they would actually come out and kind of admit they were wrong. There might be some legal issues there. You know, they, there was a very lengthy grievance and they uh they settled it and there was you know hundreds of thousands of dollars involved in settling it um although probably not as much money as could have been but you know i think there is some turnover with ownership even in those years since i mean even just last week um with the with the lions getting kind of passed down from martha ford so i guess now her daughter has now taken over and she came out in her kind of introduction to being you know owning the team or running the team on a day-to-day basis so that she would um if it was something that the the general manager and the head coaches and stuff wanted to do that she would support it that's something that we haven't really heard so maybe as there's kind of some ownership changes i mean david tupper is new in the league since this happened um you know, even in Houston, you know, Bob McNair, who was, I don't even know the way to describe <laughs> There's Bob a few McNair words you could use to describe most, Bob McNair, one yeah. Of the most, uh, you know, ardent supporters of Donald Trump. You know, his son, who I imagine is probably fairly politically aligned with his father, but it is a new generation. Um, you know, there are some new ownership. You know, we might see some other teams potentially change hands um, or younger family members taking over. So maybe there'll be a little bit of potential for movement there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical. You know, I don't think we'll ever gonna we're ever gonna see Jerry Jones come out and say, "Yeah, we were wrong." I just don't think that's ever gonna happen. Um, you know, but I think there are a handful of owners who could potentially be leaders in this space, whether it's you know Jeffrey Lurie or um, Stephen Ross, maybe um, you know David Tepper, who I mentioned. Maybe it could be one of those guys, and it's really only gonna take a couple to potentially change you know, kind of changed the, the NFL landscape, but I don't know. I, I know, I know where you stand, Michael, and you're, you're, I know you're pretty skeptical about ownership, um, and, and the league office level. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah. We were, um, you and I were on a round table about the, about the Rooney rule and diversity inclusion, um, at the NFL when the, I forget who put out there that they had that idea of like incentivizing minority hires, which also feels like 10 years ago that that happened. My goodness, yeah, yeah. Things, things are changing just so fast um, out there. And in your story, there's a, there's a quote that I really uh, liked from someone at the Global Sports Institute. It was, um, there needs to be, quote, there needs to be an acknowledgement of the ways in which racism is embedded in hiring practices and promotions and retaining coaches and looking at the real opportunities that are given at the general manager level. And I, th- it's just, I, uh, the, the man, what's the nail on the head? I'm messing up the, yeah. the phrase. Because the, that acknowledgement uh, is something I mentioned as well in that roundtable that you and I were on. It's like, you got to first say, hey, racism is bad and that's how we got here before you can, you know, undo that and do, i'm curious whether it can even cover in it do you think we can get that acknowledgement um in the in somewhat of a near future yeah well so this will be a little bit of a spoiler alert but um my colleague mike sando and i are in the middle of working on a project that's going to really hopefully get into a lot of this where you know you we can talk about like the nfl's diversity problem and there's no denying that there is a diversity problem you can't look at you know, unless you're Vic Fangio and saying that I don't that you don't see <laughs> racism in the NFL, but 
just that when you look, we think about ownership level. Okay, there's no um, there's no black owners in the NFL. That's a problem. Um, there's two black general managers in the NFL. That's a problem. There are th- uh, four minority head coaches, only three black head coaches. That's a problem. But it goes a lot deeper than that. It's it's not just those levels. It's what is the makeup of offensive coordinators versus defensive coordinators, special teams coordinators, um, quarterbacks coaches. Um, and then all the way down to, you know, something that I've been looking into a lot over the last couple months is what are the lowest levels? What are the entry level jobs look like? Who are getting those jobs and who is getting promoted? Um, because what we see is, you know, right now when it's what they're 29 or 28 white head coaches, they, these are the men who get to build their staffs. They have, they are given a ton of latitude by ownership, um, to build their coaching staffs the way that they want. They tend to hire people that they trust, that they've worked with previously, that they came up in coaching with. And if the people that you're coming in with, all these entry-level jobs, or a lot of these entry-level jobs are going to um, other white men, the white men are then getting promoted. They're the ones who are hiring the people that they've worked with. Um, you know, so we're kind of trying to look at all of these different levels. Um, you know, and uh, part of that also is, okay, who's getting promoted? You know, you're bringing in, you know, the Bill Walsh Fellowship has been, you know, very impactful in just in terms of starting to diversify, getting, you know, getting um, a more diverse pipeline of coaches. But what happens to those interns? Do they come in for just training camp? Who's actually getting hired and then who is getting promoted? And when these coaches are getting promoted, what jobs are they getting promoted into? Um, so the one thing, you know, it got kind of varied because the, uh, the, the proposal to incentivize minority hiring for head coaches really got all the headlines because it was so radical and it was so different from anything that has ever been proposed proposed within the NFL. But what, what they actually ended up doing, they tabled that part, but what they actually ended up doing at that owner's meetings was they rescinded what was basically an anti-tampering rule um, that had been used for decades to really limit coach movement. And it adversely impacted um, coaches of color it, kept, it really prevented coaches from interviewing for the jobs that would help advance their careers. So, you know, Rod Graves from the Fritz Pollard Alliance, Troy Vincent from the NFL League office. Like, uh, we talked to Art Rooney, who's the chairman of the, the NFL's diversity committee um, for the story. I talked to him last week, and they really hope that that, that is actually going to be more impactful than some of these other measures that might have gotten more headlines just because of um, – the, the, the restrictions that have been in place and these, you know, there have been a lot of weird stuff with contract language and uh, using these kind of fake job titles that would prevent coaches from actually getting to interview for more impactful jobs at other teams. Um, those things are now gone. So hopefully if there's a really talented, you know, quarterbacks coach or wide receivers coach that teams can't restrict them from interviewing for what would be a promotion um, with another club. You know, there's a another uh, what I thought was a fascinating quote that kind of tied back to the uh, the stuff we did in that roundtable. Um, looks like from the NFL's chief people officer about the that the database they're collecting with like demographic information of the employees across yeah. the leagues, which they should have had. I can't believe this is a first uh, for them. But um, the the quote is um, this isn't meant to be a moment to shame them or shame anyone, including the league office. It's really meant to educate and. You know, the word shame stood out to me because that's actually something I said in the roundtable that is, you know, an effective way to get, you know, change. And I think there's 
I'm of the impression there's there's not really a lack of education on the numbers. Like most people in the NFL who work there know that most other people who work with them are white. Like I would imagine they kind of already know that. Maybe they, a bar graph or a table, a pie chart, maybe would put it in some simpler terms for them. But education being an issue uh, really doesn't hit with me. I'm curious where did, when you heard that uh, line. I don't know if you're who talked to the Chiefs people officer, yeah, or or not. Just uh, it, how important I guess is the education versus maybe getting some shame uh, in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both where, you know, and I think when I when we specifically asked, you know, I, I was asking her the quote that or the question that led to that was we were talking about um, other parts of the organization of, of team organizations and at the league office where. Um, so when you talk about the NFL's diversity problem, you know, we tend to think of head coaches only. And so like I was mentioning, it's, you know, it's, it's all these different layers of coaching. It's front office jobs. It's team presidents. But it's also all of these other people who end up working for the league. And, um, you know, we talked to a number of people who mentioned uh, social media staffs who work for the team, who are the direct voice between uh, a team account, the team and the fans, overwhelmingly white. Um the, there's there's pretty good gender diversity there, but it is overwhelmingly white. Um, I believe there's only like one black senior manager. Um, I think there's four black social media employees um, across all 32 teams, and each team has a staff of between like two and five people. So those numbers are really bad. And this is the void. I mean, these are the people who are hitting send on the messages that go from, you know, at Seahawks or at Broncos or, you know, at whatever team it is. Um, so the, talking about the diversity there, and the, those are some of the areas where teams might not realize just how white they are. And that's what hopefully mm. this, this universal database will, will be able to show, no, look, it, no, this is actually what it looks like. And, you know, I, I live in Denver and, you know, cover the Broncos a decent amount. And when Vic Fangio said what he said a couple weeks ago, where he said, like, well, I don't see racism in the NFL. And, and I get where his brain was going it was the idea of like when we're in the locker room you know we're all teammates you know all people from different backgrounds and races and um, socioeconomic backgrounds all come together and we're all just working to one goal I get whatever Um, but the fact is he has one of the whitest staffs in the Mm. league and I don't think he's just ever looked at it that way and had to sit down with kind of all of the numbers in front of him that said you know what look look at who you employ look at what your building looks like um and that's part of what this is is that so they're going to have this universal database um and then that also then then what comes next is kind of accountability they, each team is having to put together their own dni plan that has to be in place by march of 2021 and then the league office now will have kind of accountability measures in place to make sure that they're following it um and that there's you know more consistent attention to hiring practices um, you know, the Rooney rule has been expanded to um, front office jobs and not just general manager jobs, but to any sort of senior level position. So that's, you know, your VP of marketing, your VP of communications, any of these senior level positions. Um, now teams are now required to interview um, diverse uh, ethnic, ethnic minorities uh, as well as, uh, or women for those jobs. Um, so, you know, eventually, like, will the diversity trickle down? If there's more diversity at the top, will that help, will that help, um, you know, diversify these organizations? You know, you would, you would think so, but, you know, I guess we'll see. That's something that is a long-term process. You know, I don't think we're going to see immediate change from that, but it is, I think, a, an important distinction. With Major League Soccer returning in late July, I want to say July 28th, you have the NBA returning also in late July 
and you have Major League Baseball that's now figured it out. They're going to play 60 games. Where does the NFL come into play? Because you hear Dr. Fauci, he's saying they got to play in a bubble. But there's a 53-man roster. There's a lot of intangibles that come into play. You also have training camp. You also have preseason. Mike and I are under the belief that there will be an NFL season, but what in the hell is it going to look like with everything going on right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the NFL is going to do everything it possibly can to have as close to a normal season as they can. I, you know, I, I'm watching what's going on around the country right now in horror and just wondering how the hell this is actually going to happen. You know, I think the hard thing that I, you know, in talking to people at the league, talking to teams, talking to, you know, I've talked to some head coaches about this recently, um, and then talking to people at the union at the NFLPA side is that the biggest challenge that they're going to have is they're not, they're not doing this bubble scenario. And they can't really do a bubble scenario the way that, you know, the NBA is going to go, they have, what, 15, 12 to 15 guys per roster. I mean, it's just the scope is so much smaller yep. and the timeline is so much more condensed. Like, okay, you can, it's a little bit more palatable to say, okay, we're sending these teams, we're going to put them all at Disney for two months or whatever exactly the timeline is going to be. NFL teams going to training camp, 90 guys, like 20 coaches, all of the support staff, um, I mean, just the sheer numbers are much more challenging. And then just the football inherently has a lot more challenges just in terms of like the intimate contact that occurs in football is you can't escape contact and proximity and exchange of fluids on every single play. Um, and that's not just in a game, but that's, you know, in practice, uh, the whole thing. So, you know, we talked to somebody, I talked to somebody recently who just said, like, it's one thing to think about, okay, like, what's a game going to look like in September? You know, how do we keep the players safe and fans safe? But right now, they're even trying to figure out how do we get our guys into the building and get them just to have lunch? You know, like, what is that going to look like? What are the shower, you know, the bathrooms, and the showers going to look like? It's such a massive undertaking to consider 90 guys per team in these buildings that are not built for social distancing that are not built for this. Um, and then these guys, they're going to go home. And what we're seeing is that at least now in June players, a lot of places have zero interest in actually like not, not gathering with each other. (laughs) You know, they're still holding their workouts, even though the NFLPA and the league is strongly encouraging that they don't, um, so, you know, look, the NFL is focusing on what they can control, which is what their own buildings are going to look like. These tiered levels of access, who's in and out, how much contact people are going to have with each other. You know, I spoke with somebody at a team the other day who said they're going to have four different locker room spaces within their building because their own locker room just isn't big enough. So they're having to take over, like, you know, conference rooms and extra auxiliary spaces. And I wouldn't be surprised if some teams are trying to figure out if they can, like, build erect like tents that they can use as locker rooms and these parking lots. Like, I mean, they're going to a lot of lengths, but they can't control what these guys are going to do when they leave. And, you know, you, I'm sure you guys see it. I mean, I hope Seattle has been, I mean, you guys were the, the, the initial epicenter. So I think maybe Seattle is ahead of a lot of the country here, but you know, and, and Denver has been Denver mandated masks um, pretty early, like within the actual city of Denver, but you know how to, you, you, you turn on the news, you see, People going to concerts and um, filled up with beaches and, and, you know, Tom Brady holding 
workouts with 15 guys and you know you think that they're gonna just stop doing that that they're gonna just hang out in the hotel room for 10 hours a day <laughs> you know i don't i don't know i'm just i'm really i'm really nervous about how this is gonna go and then what are they gonna do when there's five positive tests or 10 positive tests if there's an outbreak on one team what does that do to the season do they cancel that week do they cancel one game do they they didn't build enough wiggle room into the schedule that it's going to be super easy to um you know they built wiggle room into okay if we need to push back the entire season by four weeks push everything into you know january and then into february but you know we just they don't have this solid plan for what it's going to look like you know, let's say it's the Houston Texans who have report, you know, in September, all of a sudden there's six guys who test positive. So what do you do with that week's game that's scheduled against the Colts? I, I don't know. They, I don't, you know, we've, we've been asking a lot of these questions and, you know, the answers that we get back are that they're so focused on training camp and the training camp protocols. So I don't know. I'm just like, I maybe you're realizing from this conference. I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of us in this business are, um, but you know, we're, the NFL has had the luxury of time since the beginning of the pandemic where so much of what they were doing in the spring free agency, the draft, even the off season could all be done remotely and they've had this time. And now they're very, very quickly running out of time. I mean, we are now within a month. What's today, June 29th. Yep. Reporting day is July 28th, so we are we are rapidly approaching um, the time when they're not going to have that that little cushion anymore. Where is your mindset that the season may not even finish? They might have to abort in week nine and say, yeah, there's no way we can finish the season. And if that happens, do they try to continue the season once things calm down again, like the NBA has done where they yeah. halted everything in March – and now they're coming back. Do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just my guess, and this is not based on any like solid reporting, my guess is that they will do whatever it takes to get to a Super Bowl. And if that's making some sort of, um, you know, they cut four weeks out of the season and you have to change the entire playoff format or, you, you know, change who gets in or you, yeah, I mean, let's say there's like a, a massive national spike in November and they have to, you know, shut everything down for a month. Do you just resume it later? Do you, you know, whoever was in playoff standings then? I mean, I think the NFL will do everything it can to remain the king of the sports world and get their biggest events uh, off the ground. I just, I have no idea what that actually looks like. You know, I, I it's just, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to watch these other leagues. You know, the, the NFL does have the benefit of being the last one to really start. You know, you know, they'll start up kind of about the same time as college football, I guess. But they're, you know, they're going to be able to watch how the NFL or how the NBA, how Major League Baseball, how soccer. You know, I think the English Premier League, they're learning a lot about what's going on in Europe. Um, and hopefully they can actually like learn, pro you know, productive things and they're not just going to continue to be, you know, business as usual. I mean, it's been a little troubling to me that they still are talking about fans and stadiums and, you know, we believe that everything can start on time. Um I don't know how much of that is just messaging and how much of it is that they truly believe that, that they don't, that they're going to keep staying with that messaging until the last possible moment when they can say, you know, they're going to, they're going to hold on, hold on to that timeline as long as they can. But, 
yeah, I mean, I think they're just going to have to be ready to adjust, and we're all going to have to be ready to adjust. It's going to look unlike anything we've ever um, watched before, anything we've ever covered before. I mean, our jobs are going to be tremendously different this fall in terms of, you know, I, I don't anticipate that, you know, we'll be going to locker rooms, that we'll be having in-person interviews with many players, if any players. You know, I think there's it's, it's going to be a lot different. Um, and the quicker I think we all just understand that and embrace that, uh, the better, because it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really rough, I think. Wow. Well, I mean, we'll see, as you said, it's depressing. Yeah, that was very, very doom and gloom there. Yeah. We'll, we'll just have to, <laughs> Sorry. We'll, no, it's okay. We'll just have to see and just take it day by day and hope things get better. I do want to ask, yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you know, it just keeps reminding me, like, let's all just do the right thing for each other, for our, our, you know, for our friends, for our families, for football, you know, like, I feel like it's the messaging that was going on through a lot of parts of our country right now was like, do you want to have football season this year? Then wear your freaking mask. Mm. You know, the people who don't care about you, who are like my civil liberties or whatever, if they're not, if they're not going to get their football season, maybe they'd wear their dumb, their freaking masks. Like, I don't know. It's just like, let's just do what's right for everybody right now. And, and if we can get this under control, then our, then our gift, our reward will be that we can have a football season, but just kind of trying to force a football season when nothing else is going right. Like when the pandemic is still raging and spiking in some of the most football crazy parts of the country. I, I just think, you know, whenever I see these players still working out together, I'm like, do they not want to play? Do they not <laughs> want to have season right now? Just, 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 just get through one more month. You can do it. Right now, you look at the Seahawks roster; they're pretty. They have a lot of talent. And Russell, ahead of the Pro Bowl, he went out on a limb. Well, he didn't go out on a limb. He spoke from the heart, and he said, "We need a couple more players. I think we need a couple more defensive ends, Jadavian Clowney, big time guys that can help this football team." And right now, would you consider this Seahawks team without Jadavian Clowney a contender for a Super Bowl? Because right now you can count on your hand probably five teams that you're like, you know what, they could definitely win a Super Bowl. Are the Seahawks in that conversation, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't have my ballot in front of me. It's been about a month or so since we did our like post-draft power rankings, and I had the Seahawks real high. I mean, I just... I'm like a, you know, I'm fully in the Russell Wilson can do anything as long as his coaches will empower him to do so and not take the ball out of his hands camp. You know, I think that he is going to give them a chance all the time. Um, I think the NFC West is going to be maybe the most interesting division of football next year. Um, probably the most competitive. I mean, I think I know there's a lot of people are really high on the Cardinals right now, and we'll see. But I think it felt, if anything, it'll be more competitive. And it was so competitive last year. Um, I mean, the Seahawks were six inches away from getting, what, the number two seed, winning the division and getting the number two seed in the NFC. I mean, that's how close they were last year. So I think that they, um, you know, absolutely should be in that conversation of teams that could win the Super Bowl. I mean, I I would love to see some more uh, innovation on offense, a little bit more <laughs> trust, uh, letting Russ do more. Let's, let's stop stifling Russell Wilson, let him kind of be his best self um i do have questions about the pass rush but they always seem to get by somehow you know i don't love i don't love the guys that are on the roster right now in that position but you know i guess so i guess we'll see but yeah i mean i would absolutely put them in that um 
in that contender category. And I think the NFC is really interesting and is super wide open. I mean, what it's, you know, the Saints, but they have questions now with a 41-year-old Drew Brees. You know, the Niners, I think, should still be in that conversation. Is there going to be a Super Bowl hangover there? Um, gosh, I don't even know. Who else would we put? The, I mean, I, I want to put the Packers in that conversation, but they just got their asses handed them so hard both times <laughs> they played the Niners last year that I have a hard time. And then they didn't do anything this offseason to fix nope. <laughs> that deficiency. You know, they didn't make themselves better for 2020. So, yeah, I mean, I would put probably the Seahawks in, like, the top three or four contenders in the NFC. I mean, I guess that is see maybe put the Eagle. I don't know about the Cowboys. I don't know. I mean, I'd, pr- I'd probably put them top three with the Saints, the Niners, and the Seahawks. You and just, I would I could be convinced for maybe any order. You just put a bunch three. You just put a bunch of smiles on Seahawks fans' faces right now. <laughs> you are making their day, and that's all. Hopefully, well, we don't. Most, I mean, they're the most fun team to watch. True. Just because the craziest stuff is going to happen in a Seahawks game. Yep. You know, Russell Wilson is going to make it really exciting and really fun. Pete Carroll is probably going to do something weird and gifable <laughs> on the sideline. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you if we could just have like every NFC West game in prime time. Um, that would be that would be okay by me as somebody who's going to be only sitting at home and watching games this year and not actually attending them. I second that, you know. I don't know how Mike feels cuz he'll be at every game, but I yeah, I'll be at home watching it, taking notes, all the fun stuff. <laughs> well, at least hey, we- a, five, a 5 o'clock Pacific time kickoff is awesome. Perfect. It's not like those like 8:20 Eastern East Coast kickoffs for primetime games, yeah. but <laughs> Yeah, though those East Coast ones are bad, man. I I don't get any sleep on like a primetime game like in like Philly or something like that. That's uh recording at one o'clock my time, four AM Mike's time. He's yeah, just like, yeah, well we're gonna have to finish this now. Good good thing I sleep on planes and I hope we don't I don't know how many Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans we have listened to the show, but they might feel slighted just now. But that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. we'll see. I mean they're the like, they're the sexy pick right now, but like look, the Browns were the sexy pick this time last year and we saw what happened. So I don't know. I'm gonna I'm going to be cautious about the Bucks. I think that they're going to be they're going to be really fun to watch and really interesting, but it might just it might just take a little while. You know, I think they might be awesome come October, November, maybe December, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not quite all the way in on them yet. Speaking of taking a while, Clowney is taking his time and dragging this out. Where is he going to land? What do you say? What throw throw in two teams that you're like I think he's going here. Or here. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you would ask me like six weeks ago, I thought I think he was going to go back to Seattle. Um, now Tennessee seems to make the most sense. Um, they've got the money. They've got a need. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been really affected by um, by COVID and not being able to get into a facility and actually let a team's doctors take a look at him uh, because he does have so many medical questions. Um, but man, I. I feel bad for him. I, mean, I don't really know him personally, but he's going to be the guy that I always kind of refer back to when I talk about how much I hate the franchise tag and all of the things that the league has in place to limit player movement, where, you know, you consider that he was, what, number one overall pick um, in the draft, and he had to kind of get stuck in Houston. You know, he had the fifth-year option, then he had the franchise tag year, where, and now he's had all these injuries where he's never had a chance to truly hit the free agent market um and that that sucks for him you know i think it sucks for any of these guys that don't have that sort of freedom of movement that he's never going to be able i mean look he's made a lot of money nobody's gonna like feel bad for like 
his financial situation, but just in terms of what he potentially could have earned if he could have hit the open market two years ago before they had the fifth year option on him and the, um, and then that franchise tag year. Um, so I don't know, but I guess my money's on Tennessee right now. I think they really need him. They need to make a splash. They need a pass rusher. Um, I don't know. Do you think the door is closed on him? In, the door is closed in Seattle. I don't know. That's why I asked you. I gave up. I'm, I'm done. I don't know what to believe. We had Joe on last week. He says he's coming back. We have you on today. You think he's going to Tennessee? I don't know. I'm I'm all over the now place. Now the door the door's open. They I mean they're still thinking about AB. Like they'll, <laughs> they'll sign anybody. Uh, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> um. Well, we'll see. I mean, I guess it's you know we'll get the the what is it deadline spur action, and there hasn't really been like a hard deadline yet because I mean what did he miss? He's missed a lot of Zoom meetings with the team. So, you know, so we'll see if once, you know, we get to July 25th or something and we get right up to um, reporting date, if if he finally, if he drops his place or a team finally says, you know, or teams can, they can get these guys in to give them physicals because they're going to have to be able to get in the building and get physicals, but finally a team will check out his knees and say, yeah, you're nay and, and sign him to whatever you know, maybe it's another one-year deal. Maybe it's a lot of incentives. Um, you know, I just don't think he's getting the the type of deal that he ever would have gotten previously. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a uh, back to the doom and gloom there, Clowny not coming back. I think he might. He he he, he, he might. <laughs> I, think, I think he could too, right? Deadline spur action, and you know, both teams, both sides are going to kind of be desperate. So maybe, yeah, maybe it does happen. But they, if they really want him, they need to make it happen and not let, you know not let him get scooped up by somebody else. Like, you know, watch freaking Bill Belichick, like, swoop in oh, here and no. give him a one-year deal with all these crazy incentives. And then Jesus, the Patriots are a... in the Super Bowl in January or February. Sounds about watch right now. No, nah, we should we should, we should, should boycott that uh, if that if that happens. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be bad. But thank you, Lindsey Jones, for joining us on the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. We love love the insight, love giving us a, a kind of a macro look at the NFL because we get real into the minutia of, like, Seahawks and the roster. Thank you for helping us take a step back and realize that the NFL doesn't know how to figure out lunch. But yet they're going to figure out how to put together a 16-game season. Godspeed uh, with that. Um, Lindsay, are you, you're you verified on Twitter, yes? Uh, I am. Oh, yeah. See there, Chris? Yep, you'll get there. It's got to call it a tweet machine. What's your yeah. what's your, what's your your handle, Lindsay, for everyone who so, wants to follow um, you? Uh, it's, it's my – well, actually, it's not technically my byline anymore, but it's at, at by Lindsay H. Jones because, you know, being a Jones, you got to throw the middle initial in there. So by Lindsay H. Jones is where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you know, and then all of our stuff is all over the athletic. We've got some, we've got some fun stuff coming up in July before training camp gets going. So make sure you check out all of our national stuff too. All right, thank you again. That was Lindsay Jones, who is verified on Twitter um, on the tweet machine. Chris, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Make sure you subscribe, uh, iTunes, Spotify, on the Athletic, everywhere. Make sure you check out all Lindsay stuff too. As you see, I just referenced a bunch of it throughout the show. It's good stuff. Please go uh, check it out. Uh, thank you again, Lindsay, for joining us. We will catch you guys next week. On that note, we're out. Time to you.